If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, where we're going to spend the next few minutes looking through chapter 3. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we just prayed in singing that you would hear us, that you would be with your church and abide with your church, protect your church. And Father, we thank you that you are with us now through your Holy Spirit and you've given us your word. And so Father, would your word and spirit be at work now giving guidance and direction to your people. Father, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people. Speak, O Lord, to your people gathered here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have finally come to the point where we need to have a how-to sermon, maybe even a how-to series, you know, practical teaching for today's living. For instance, maybe it should be how to have a happy marriage, how to raise well-behaved kids, how to be successful at work, or to borrow the titles of a few recently popular books, how to have your best life now. How to be a better you. In fact, what we are about to to consider may just be one of the most important how-tos in the life of a church. How to recognize elders and deacons. Not recognize as in award, but rather recognize as in identify. Because true elders and deacons would not want to be recognized for their labors. Rather, they would want their office recognized and respected because they know it's for the good of the church. Look with me in verses 14 through 16 of our text. Did you hear that description of the church? It's the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar of and buttress of the truth. And did you hear that hymn, that hymn that points to Christ at the end, indeed the mystery of godliness, he that is Jesus, his incarnation, his his, uh, life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It's about Christ. The mystery of godliness has been revealed and the church is called up in that because Jesus Christ as we've been saying is the head he's the king he's the ruler of his church in Isaiah 9 we remember that the government is on his shoulders in Colossians 1 we read clearly he is the head of the church as king Jesus is the boss he's in charge he makes the rules he calls the shots Jesus indeed rules as king But interestingly, he describes his rule as king as one of being a servant, of one of being a shepherd. 
And indeed, Jesus does provide good gifts to his church in the form of servants and shepherds. Because elders and deacons represent together the fullness of Jesus' ministry to his people. They represent, as it were, the fullness of the gospel. We've seen Jesus being our shepherd from John chapter 10. And then we saw from 1 Peter 5 the person and work of the elder or the person and work of the under-shepherd who knows the sheep, feeds the sheep, leads the sheep, and protects the sheep. And in the next two weeks, we're going to do the same thing about the deacon. We're going to look at Jesus, our servant, from Mark chapter 10, followed by the person and work of the deacon from Acts chapter 6. Shepherds and table servants. My friends, this is where the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world comes into focus, doesn't it? Shepherds look down upon. Waiters at tables looked down upon by the world. And yet precious in the sight of God. And precious in the sight of God's people. We're in this series on church government, how Jesus Christ runs his church, what church government is and why it matters. And we've been seeing that this is not a mundane or peripheral topic. Rather, it's important and central. It matters. It matters. Because the ministry of a church, what it does, and the government of a church, how it is led, cannot be separated. And since Jesus does indeed provide good gifts to his church, it will be important for us to be able to recognize those gifts, those men who Jesus calls and equips to shepherd and serve his church. Now let me ask you this question. How are people recognized these days? I kind of like some TV shows that deal with... um, kind of facial recognition software. You know, they, uh, somebody's coming into a secure area and the, and the gadget at the door recognizes their face and opens the door. So there's this increasing facial recognition software, how to recognize people. But in general, aren't there two ways that people are recognized? By their walk and by their talk. By their walk, by their manner of life by their talk, by their words. Now, let's bring that again to some concrete level. Have you ever had a friend who you're supposed to meet at an airport or meet somewhere and you see them from way off? You can't see anything in detail, but what can you see? You can see the way they walk and you recognize them. Or how about this example? It happened to me a few years ago. A friend who I had not seen or heard from in probably a dozen years, a colleague from the Navy called me up and within a second and a half of hearing his voice, what did I do? I greeted him by name. I recognized his voice. We recognize people by their walk and their talk. Well, our text that we've just read presents us with a temptation and that is to just go down this 
as some kind of a list, a, a job, an advertisement for a job with a list of qualifications. I mean, it's tempting to do that, but we're going to consider the text as a whole and consider three overall qualities that emerge as themes. Elders and deacons are men who are dignified and above reproach, men who care greatly about and for the church, and finally, men who are humble. First, let's look at this. Men who are dignified and above reproach. We see that in verse 8 and in verse 2. Dignified, there's a gravity about their life. They are serious. They are sober. They realize that there are important things to consider in life. And both of these men, elders and deacons, are considered above reproach, blameless. A blameless reputation, both inside the church, we see in verse 2, and outside the church, we see in verse 7. Well, what does this mean? What does above reproach or blameless mean? Well, of course, it cannot mean sinless. During our time in 1 John, we, we spent a lot of time seeing that, no, Christians do sin, but we do nonetheless have forgiveness in Christ but what this means is without scandal, scandalous sin that would discredit the church where the church tolerates and um, kind of turns a blind eye to sin. Above reproach and blameless means a man who is both slow and quick. He's a man who's slow to sin. He will sin, but hopefully he's slow to sin, but my friends, also quick quick to repent. Above reproach and blameless mean that a public life is pretty much the same as private life. The American cowboy and humorist Will Rogers of the early 20th century said this, a man, like a blameless man, a, a man above reproach, is not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Above reproach in three areas. It's not an exhaustive list, but it pictures a person of mature Christian character. He's um, above reproach toward his family. If he's married, he's a one-woman man. We see in verse 2 and verse 12. If he has children, he manages well. We see in verses 4 and 5 and verse 12. In other words, he's a faithful husband. He's a faithful father. He's above reproach toward his family, with his family, but also toward himself. For we see he is sober-minded. He is self-controlled in verses 2. He's not a drunkard. He's not a lover of money in verse 3. He's not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain in verse 8. He's above reproach toward his family, toward himself, and also toward others in verse 2. He's respectable. He's respectable. In um, verse uh, 3, he's not quarrelsome. And down in verse 9, he's not violent, but gentle. So he's above reproach in three basically areas of life. 
toward his family, if he has one, toward himself, and toward others, both inside and outside the church. Now, why does character count? Why does character count? I think we know the answer to this question, but it, it, goes, it goes without saying, but it should be said. I think it's because what people do, how they live, how they act, always flows from who they are. Conduct outwardly is always guided and governed by character inwardly. The inside governs the outside, not the other way around. Why is character important? Why is the elder's character and the deacon's character important? To protect the church from scandal, thereby helping to preserve its witness to the world that's always looking for a reason to discredit Christianity. And my friends, sadly, over and over again, we see scandal and somebody put on a pedestal and then falling or jumping off the pedestal, discrediting the witness of the church. So this text that we've been looking at is not a job description, but rather it's a character description. Because the ends are not only important, but the means to get to the ends are also important. Well, who are elders and deacons? They are dignified men. They are men whose character is above reproach. That's who they are. And what do they do? In a word, as shepherds and servants, they are devoted to the church. They care greatly about the church as an institution ordained by God, but also for the church. In other words, for the people that God gathers and grows in the church. So let's look now at men who care greatly about and for the church. We read in verse 5, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Well, let's look at the identity and mission of the church. Well, what is the church? Because the nature of the ministry of the church is determined by the nature of the church itself. The purpose, remember, of Paul's writing of 1 Timothy, and we see this in verse 15, is to establish order and conduct in the church. And we saw, again, this threefold description of the church. It's the household of God. It's the church of the living God. It's a pillar and buttress of truth. That's the church. But these men who care and are devoted to the church, they care greatly about the word of God because sound doctrine promotes the truth and protects the truth. Elders are, in verse 2, able to teach. And that's really what distinguishes elders from deacons. They are able to teach. And it's the one non-character quality, but kind of a skill or competence quality that we see. Elders are able to teach, and we see that elsewhere in Titus and First and Second Timothy, that the elders of the church are to hold fast to sound doctrine. Why? Because the church is a pillar and a buttress of truth. Truth, in other words, is found in the church and it's sustained by the church. But deacons also hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, we read in verse 9. 
And they have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus, we read in verse 13. In other words, sound theology has great benefits. And there's an assurance that comes to, in this case, deacons by holding fast to sound doctrine. And in the next week's time, we will see that the deacon is not just a man gifted in uh, finances or gifted in material things, but he's a spiritually gifted man. The elders and deacons care about the word of God, but they also care for the people of God because a sound doctrine flows from that leads to a sound life. Notice, elders are hospitable in verse uh, 2. They practice hospitality, the love of strangers that all Christians are called to practice. We read in Romans and Hebrews and Peter. I mean, it's in several locations. Hint, hint. It's important in the life. And that's why we keep saying that we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. In other words, even in our very um, worship service, there should be, as it were, a love of strangers. Strangers not to the grace of Jesus, but maybe strangers to one another. And as we get to know one another as we open up our, our homes and lives to one another. We continue to build one another up in the faith as we share the common work of Jesus in our life. Elders are concerned with how people are to behave and conduct themselves in the church as we see in verse 15. Deacons are going to help meet persons' physical needs as we will see in Acts Six, because God cares about his people, body and soul. And in order to see Jesus' fullness of his ministry to his people, that's what we see in the lives and ministries of elders and deacons. And so we've seen that elders and deacons are men whose overall character is blameless and whose overall conduct is one of devotion to care for and care about the church. That's the fruit of these men's lives. Well, what's at the root? What is at the root of such character and conduct? How, how on earth is this possible to have these kind of men? Because my friends, at the root of both character and conduct is humility. Elders and deacons are first and foremost men who are humble. Well, what is humility? We're not going to answer everything in the next few minutes, but maybe this will help. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. Being captured by thoughts of the Lord, by being captured by the interest of others, you don't have a whole lot of time to be um, concerned about yourself. Humility is thus thinking more about God, believing what God says, and trusting in who God is. Humility, my friends, is not being uncertain or wishy-washy or having a sponge for a spine. Humility is rather holding firm to what God has revealed in his word. Now, why is humility important and especially important for the leaders of a church? Because if humility is absent, something is sure to take its place. 
If there's an absence of humility, there is by, there's no question that there will be a presence of pride. And my friends, that is dangerous. Look at verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. But humility is learned. It takes time. And what is one of the best teachers of gaining humility? It's being humbled. Think with me about the life of Peter. Humbled before the Lord. Think about Paul. The man who had it all together. Who knew God's word better than anyone. On the way to the... Damascus, he met Jesus and he was humbled in that encounter to say the least. And so the leaders of the church are men who are mature, as it were, in being teachable, who are eager to learn. Humility means approachability and accountability because the leaders of the church must be approachable and the leaders of the church must be accountable as well. Elders and deacons realize that in and of themselves they are not sufficient. But they also recognize that they are sufficient in Christ, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. You know, um, I'm considered a teaching elder. And there's a danger in being thought of as a teacher. Because... There's a temptation to think that you've got the answers and you've arrived. But a teaching elder needs to be an elder who continues to be taught by God's word, by God's people. That's true for all of us. I uh, served for a, in a ministry for a few years called the Navigators. And in my early days with the Navigators, I heard this expression, we're looking for some fat guys. I'm like... Oh, wow, this is going to be great because we're all going to lose weight. You know, we're going to work out. We're going to eat right because we're looking for fat guys. Well, what did that mean? Well, it meant faithful, available, and teachable. My friends, none of us has arrived. We need to be open to being continually taught by God's word in the context of God's people. And elders and deacons recognize that. So where do we find a good example of this humble person? I think we can all say we find the example of a truly humble person in Jesus Christ because Jesus had authority. Like elders will have spiritual authority, ministerial and declarative authority. But Jesus did not use his authority to advance his self-interest, but rather the interest of others. Jesus was rich as we heard a moment ago, but for our sake, for the sake of his people, he became poor. Jesus was absolutely unwavering in the truth, committed to the truth, but absolutely humble as well. Jesus wanted to do his Father's will above everything. Elders and deacons are recognized by their walk, their manner of life. They're also recognized by their talk their doctrine, what they believe, what they hold for, what they hold to. 
They're recognized by their walk and their talk because character speaks loud and clear. We need to keep that in mind as we begin the process to nominate, elect, ordain, and install officers. Well, we need to conclude, and I think there are three things to remember that will aid us in our recognition of elders and deacons. First thing, elders and deacons are men whose lives are shaped by the gospel. Think about Paul's letters to the churches. What are they? They're nothing more than here's how to live in light of the gospel. Now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has uh, obtained salvation for his people, this is how we live in response. So elders and deacons are men whose lives are, are shaped and increasingly shaped by the gospel. Because the gospel of grace, as it were, constrains obedience out of gratitude. Elders and deacons of all people in the church know this. That they obey not in order to be accepted before the Lord, but they obey because they have been accepted through the, the, the work of Christ. That's who they are. So even though this is focused on elders and deacons, let me ask all of this. Is your life right now, where you live, where you work, is it being shaped by the gospel? What is the greatest influence in your life right now? Is it the internet? Is it the weekly news magazine? Is it your friend who's in the know? What is shaping your life? Because my friends, our lives are being shaped. The question is, who or what is shaping our lives? The second thing, because elders and deacons are men whose lives are shaped by the gospel, elders and deacons are men who lead the church in repentance and faith. They are leaders because they are first followers of Jesus. They lead because they follow. Two weeks ago, I shared a quote that I heard in a talk of a fellow PCA minister in London at a conference. And here's the quote again, and it's under a section, what the church needs most in a leader. My dear friends, most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, the competent, and the successful. But what you most need in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his sin and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. The number one leaders in every church ought to be the men who repent the most fully without excuses. Because you don't need any now. The most easily without bitterness. The most publicly and the most joyfully. They know their standing isn't based on their performance. In other words, elders and deacons, leaders in the church are men who have heard Jesus proclaiming the gospel saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the Christian life, if anything, is that cycle and that rhythm of ongoing repentance and faith. So leaders are leaders because they're first following Jesus. But my friends, these leaders really do want to be first. Make no mistake. They want to be the first to encourage. The first to ask for forgiveness. And the first to sound the alarm when danger comes to the church. 
Hi, Savannah. So let me ask you this. Is your life here and now marked by that ongoing rhythm of repentance and faith, turning from sin and turning to Jesus for forgiveness and strength? Is that the ongoing rhythm of your life? And finally, elders and deacons are men who represent, in other words, represent Jesus Christ in the fullness of his ministry to the church. In other words, my friends, elders and deacons are men who look an awful lot like Jesus, both in his rule and in his service. And they say to the church, follow us as we follow Christ. And my friends, there is no better place on earth to be than following Jesus Christ in the company of others on the road to eternal and everlasting life. As we move forward in the next few weeks, continue to pray that as a church we would recognize these men whom God is calling to lead and to serve. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed you do provide good gifts for your church to your people. Enable us to recognize your provision. And Father, we thank you so much for your protection of bringing us to this point. Oh Lord, there is no other explanation than you being at work. And we give you thanks and praise. Father, as we go forward, would you indeed provide for us what we need in the way of elders and deacons, shepherds and servants. And we thank you, Father, for giving your people your word and your spirit. Father, continue to have mercy upon your congregation here and give us more of your grace that we could live a life individually and corporately that pleases you and does good for one another here and to the watching world that is lost and without hope outside of Christ. For we pray in his name.